You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Welcome to the Village Church. We're glad you're here to join us. My name is Larry, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church in Hamden. You just watched a video highlighting the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And this offering, if you haven't heard, is an offering that we do in our church along with other churches around um, the world to support International Mission Board missionaries as they seek to share the gospel uh, everyone around the world from Kenya to Thailand to Brazil and so forth. And we're so glad that uh, we have this opportunity to partner with people doing amazing work. And the reality is, is uh, the work that they're doing requires funds. And so here, as we are in the U.S., uh, in a country that has uh, a relative amount of financial uh, prosperity and we have um, religious freedom you know we feel like it's our duty to help support god's mission work around the world so we encourage you have you if you haven't given already to consider making a gift uh, as we spread god's light uh, around the world um, during this christmas season you can do so by going to villagehamden.com slash lottie moon consider making a gift there this year at this time, we'll be moving into our sermon portion of the service. Uh, we've been going through a sermon series called The Songs of Christmas. We talked about Mary's song of justice and Zechariah's song of deliverance. And today we're talking about Simeon's song of peace. Kate will be reading our scripture passage from Luke 2, 25 to 35. Good morning, Village Church. My name is Kate, and I'll be reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Thank you for reading that, Kate. On Christmas Day in 1863, the American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem called Christmas Bells. Later, people would put music to it and it would become the popular song. I uh, heard the, the bells on Christmas Day. And the original version was, as it is with a lot of these uh, poems that later become songs, the original version was seven verses long. And it was written in the context of grief and war. Um, I won't read the whole thing. I'm just going to read verse 6, which is, I think, the most sobering part of the poem. And it goes, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song 
of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You see, Longfellow, he had been going through a lot of difficulties in his life at the time. His wife had passed away in a fire two years prior to this. And about a month prior to this, writing Longfellow, he had received that his, that his son, who was fighting for the Union in the American Civil War, was seriously injured. And so in this poem, he writes about... Uh, in, in the beginning of the poem, he writes about the Christmas bells that sing that ring of hope and joy. And then he talks about the cannons of war that drown out the sounds of the bells. And then he concludes in verse 6 that there is no peace on earth, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. And I think that's such a relevant uh, stanza to today. Because a lot of people today, we've been talking about how it seems like there's no peace on earth. We've been talking about how 2020 seems like the worst year in history. I don't know about that. It's hard to compare these sort of things. You know, 1968 was pretty bad. Uh, the Great Depression years were pretty bad. Certainly the American Civil War years were pretty bad. Um, during the American Civil War, a staggering 600,000 Americans, or 2% of the whole population at the time, lost their lives. Um, but regardless of which year was worse... Um, the common factor between all these years is that many people are suffering and many people are looking for peace on earth. In our context, COVID-19 cases and death con uh, deaths continue to hit record numbers. But it's not just COVID-19. There's all sorts of things this year that have just turned our lives upside down. It seems like everywhere we look, there is no peace on earth. You know, the big picture, we think about global poverty or gun violence or the prison system, there seems to be no peace on earth. But maybe for some of us, it's not so much the big issues at the global national levels, but it's uh, our personal levels that have the big issues. We, maybe we lack peace in our family relationships or we lack peace in our psychological or unwell minds or maybe we lack peace in our financial status. Whatever it is, many of us feel that there is no peace on earth. So in light of that, where do we find peace? Where can peace be found? Is peace even possible? Well, today we're looking at this guy in the Bible. His name is Simeon. He's an elderly man who claims that he has found peace. During this month, we've been looking through all these different songs. And uh, these songs, they were originally written in specific contexts and sung in response to those context to those events but the beauty of music and this is why i love music is especially music with lyrics uh, or poetry is because it, uh, the beauty of music is that it transcends the context in which they were written um, so when we listen to songs or when we read songs we find emotions um, in these songs and we say oh that matches up with mine my emotions echo what these songs are talking about. Songs, in a sense, are affirmation of our own feelings. And so when we read about Mary's song of justice, we feel like, oh, yes, I align with that. When we read about Zechariah's song of deliverance, we go, yes, I, I affirm that. that. That is exactly how I feel. When we, re when we read Simeon's song of peace, in a short moment, um, we feel the same thing. We say these words also describe how I feel. They're putting to words what I cannot express before. So I hope that we'll do that today with Simeon's song. So, uh, but, but before we get there, let's dive into the context just a little bit. In verses 25 and 26, we read about Simeon. Let's read together. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
Consolation can also mean comfort. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we have this guy, Simeon. We don't know a whole lot about him. This is the only story in the Bible where this guy shows up. But one thing we do know about this guy is that he is waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. You see, Israel had been waiting, and it's not just this guy, all of Israel, in a sense, they have been waiting for this uh, consolation because for hundreds of years, they had not seen any peace. Uh, 900 years before this story, uh, Israel divided into two kingdoms because of a civil war. And then shortly after that, uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians came and they conquered Israel. And so they lost their homeland. They were exiled. And then shortly after that, they were under Persian rule and then under Greek rule and then now under Roman rule. So for 900 years, they have been experiencing war and, and calamity and suffering. And the Israelites, they were clinging on to the hope that one day there would be this Messiah. This figure who would come and bring them comfort and peace. During this time, there would be prophets like Isaiah who would even promise that one day comfort and peace would come. Isaiah said in uh, Isaiah 25, 8 through 9, for example, He, speaking of God, will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So you have these prophets saying these things. And then fast forward to Jesus' day. And Simeon comes along. He's one of these guys. He's an elderly man by now. But he is waiting for God's consolation. Waiting for God's salvation. Waiting for the day when God would swallow up death forever. So Jesus' parents, they bring Jesus in to dedicate him at the temple. It's similar to how uh, several, several weeks ago, we did a, a child dedication in our service with our son and a few others, right? And, and during this time, the passage says that Simeon took uh, Jesus in his arms because Simeon recognized, the Spirit led Simeon to recognize that this baby Jesus was a Messiah. So he took him in his arms and he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And there's that word peace, right? Simeon now says he can depart in peace. In other words, he's saying, I can now die happy. He had, he had waited his whole life for this event, this witnessing of the consolation of Israel. And he, in this moment was finally here. And why is he at peace? Verse 30, he explains, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So why does Simeon feel like he can depart in peace? Why can he die happy? Because his eyes saw God's salvation. Now, I think this is an interesting way that Simeon is putting it because notice he's not saying, he's not saying, my eyes have seen the Messiah who will bring about God's salvation. He is saying, my eyes have seen salvation. He didn't see salvation as an event, something that the Messiah will bring about. He saw uh, salvation as a person, namely Jesus. And this is an important distinction, I think, because we often think about salvation as an event. We, look, we think of salvation as an event that we look toward to, that we look forward to, that will happen. We think of salvation as God doing things to change circumstances. But to Simeon, experiencing salvation was not necessarily having a change of circumstance, but having an encounter with Jesus. Because before he met Jesus... 
And after he met Jesus, it, it doesn't seem like a whole lot changed in his circumstances. But something changed in his heart, and that made all the difference. Um, some of us in 2020 have had some pretty rough circumstances. Some of us have this lingering, this, uh, lingering hope uh, that on New Year's Day, it's as if this curse will be lifted because all of a sudden it's 2021. Um, our circumstances will be better and we'll have some semblance of peace. That's what we're hoping for at least. But to be honest, I'm not sure if that will happen. You know, I don't want to disappoint you, but, you know, Bono, he once sang, uh, Bono of U2, he once sang, nothing changes on New Year's Day. And personally, you know, what I often like to do is I like to have low expectations so that when uh, things happen, they go sort of okay, then I feel good and I, and I don't feel disappointed. And so right now, I'm intentionally keeping my expectations low. I, I think that maybe 2021 will be worse than 2020, just in case. But regardless... I'll say this one question I think we should all be asking um, is it, it's not will my circumstances get better in 2021, but it's will I encounter Jesus more in 2021? It's not will my circumstances get better in 2021, but it should be will I encounter Jesus more in 2021? Because if salvation is not about our circumstances, but it, if it is about the person of Jesus, then the thing we should be most concerned about is uh, not whether we have good circumstances, but whether we know Jesus. Um, because if you know Jesus, then regardless of what the circumstances are, you will have salvation. You will have peace. So whether it's knowing Jesus for the first time or knowing Jesus for the millionth time, you know, I invite you to consider to ask God to open your eyes to see Jesus. Ask God to open your eyes to see the salvation. Not that, not um, one that brings you peace through improving your circumstances. Not, not that kind of salvation, though you can ask for that as well. But I'm talking about this kind of salvation that brings you peace in spite of horrendous circumstances. Let's keep reading this song, verse 30 and 31. Simeon sings, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So let's pause here for a second. There's something else about God's salvation that I want to point out. This salvation is not just an individual, private, personal salvation. It's a global salvation. There is an outward trajectory to this salvation. Simeon says, that this salvation was prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's not private, right? It's public so that all people can see it. And this line recalls, there's a lot of verses in the prophecies, in the, in the books of the prophets about this. But one example is Isaiah 52, 9 to 10, which says, uh, Bring forth together into singing, sorry, break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So in this context, God is saying he's going to do a saving work in Jerusalem. And he's making it clear this is not just for Jerusalem. He's, he's saying it's done before the eyes of all the nations so that all the ends of the earth shall see salvation, right? And so that's what I think Simeon is getting at, that this, this salvation is being prepared in the presence of all peoples. Let's keep going. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you catch this? The salvation is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews, but it's for everybody. 
is so that everybody, all eyes, all nations, all the earth may see God's salvation. And I love this imagery of light because the nature of light is that it doesn't stay still. Light travels. And as Jesus says in Luke 8:16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The purpose of light is that it travels. You it, it moves around so that people see the source of the light. If you have experienced individual salvation, but nobody around you is seeing the light, then you might be missing the point. Because salvation is not just for you, it's for all people. One of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 2.9. I don't know if it's okay to have favorite verses. I have favorite verses. It's 1 Peter 2, 9, where Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So God chose us. He has made us holy. He has given us this royal priesthood. He has possessed us, made us his own. He has given us all these countless blessings. Why has he done all this for us? Let's keep going. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So do you see this? One of the main reasons why God has given us salvation was so that we could proclaim the salvation to others. One of the main reasons why God gave us his salvation is so that we could proclaim his salvation to others. Jesus didn't die on the cross just so that he could be your personal Lord and Savior, but also so that he could be the Lord and Savior of the whole world. And on the day you decided to become a citizen of the kingdom, you also decided to become an ambassador of the kingdom. And therefore, we should not only be concerned about making sure we have individual peace, but making sure that the whole world has peace. We should be concerned not only that we have individual salvation, but that the whole world experiences salvation. It's the NBA preseason right now. Um, and in the NBA, the goal of basketball teams is to win a championship, right? Uh, but some players, at least what it seems like and what, you know, these uh, talk show hosts and reporters, what they often like to talk about is some players care more about individual stats than they do about winning games. They're so focused on, you know, getting points and getting rebounds and getting assists. And it seems like they're always making up categories now, you know, double doubles and triple doubles and the first player to have, you know, five blocks, 10 games in a row, all sorts of things like that, you know, and they're trying to make the all-star team. They're trying to make the all NBA team. They're trying to be the Eastern conference player of the week, all that stuff. They're concerned about their own glory. That's a storyline at least, right? But there are other players that have uh, what people call championship mentalities, championship mentalities. They don't care about their own stats during crunch time, even though they might be one assist short of a triple-double, they're not trying to get that triple-double. Uh, they're not trying to get that winning shot. During crunch time, they are trying to make sure the team wins because they're not concerned about their own glory, but they're concerned about the glory of the team. We need more Christians who have championship mentalities, Christians who stop focusing on padding their individual stats and start focusing on building the church. So many of us are focused, overly focused, on whether or not we're being spiritually fed that we neglect others who need feeding. We are so focused on whether or not the church is meeting my needs 
that we're not aware, we're not even cognizant, we're not even thinking about meeting the needs of others. We are like spiritual hoarders hogging all the light for ourselves while so many around us are sitting in utter darkness. There's a song by the band Colony House that goes, everybody's looking for some light. Everybody's looking for some light. And I think that's true. Everybody's looking for justice. Everyone's looking for deliverance. Everyone's looking for peace. And especially now, um, as many people are going through suffering and heartache and brokenness and frustration, people are looking for light. And we know, we know that the light they are looking for is the light of Christ. But unfortunately, many of the people who actually have the light are covering the light in jars. May we be a church that shines its light for all to see. May we open up our mouths with our non-Christian friends and have spiritual conversations. May we give of our finances to initiatives like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that the darkest corners of our planet may be reached so that all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Back in the day, it was common for churches to have bells. Big bells, outdoor bells, right? Most of the time, these bells, they would ring, you know, when service would start, or sometimes they would ring every hour, things like that, and they were very loud. And why were they loud? It was meant to convey, I think, that the church was not just a private club that existed for its own members so that members would come and feel good about themselves. The church existed in large part for the community. The church was to be a public witness. It was to be a, a light of the world, a city on a hill, so that the bells, when they were ringing, they were supposed to ring loud and clear for all to hear. So that if there was anybody who was struggling, if there was anybody who was doubting, if there was anybody who was weary, if anyone who was lonely, if there was anybody who needed a, resources, if anyone needed help, they knew, oh, that's where you go. You go to the church, you hear those bells, you go to the church, you encounter salvation. Earlier we read verse 6 of Henry Longfellow's Christmas Bells poem. I want to read that again, and then I want to add on verse 7, the last stanza that caps it off. Verse 6, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Verse 7, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Those who have given up on peace need to hear the church bells ring once more. They need to hear that God is not dead, that he is not sleeping, that the wrong will fail and the right prevail. They need to hear that one day there will be peace on earth. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you are experiencing right now, regardless of the events that have happened all last year, regardless of the events that will happen this upcoming year, God isn't dead and peace will come. Maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you need to hear the church bells ring. You're longing for peace on earth and you need to hear those bells ring. Or maybe others of you or others around you need to hear that. Your friends, your neighbors, your family members, maybe they're longing for peace on earth and they need to hear the church bells ring. But regardless, there's a question we need to be asking, I think. Who will ring the bells? Who will ring the bells? 
I believe that it's up to people like you and me, people who have tasted and seen God's salvation, it is up to us to ring the bells. For far too long, our churches have been silent. We've stepped out of the public sphere. Whether out of fear or apathy, we've become isolated or segregated. We've kept to ourselves. We need to start ringing the bells again. And I'm not, I'm not talking about literal bells. I'm talking about the metaphorical bells. I need, I'm talking about how we need to start proclaiming God's excellencies. We need to start declaring God's salvation in the presence of all peoples. We need to start announcing peace on earth. If that gets you fired up, church, I want to invite you. Let's go ring some bells. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and how he is our salvation and how he, when he came to this earth, he showed us, he, he showed us what it meant to be free, what it meant to have joy, what it meant to have love, what it meant to have peace. And he commissioned us to share that with the world. God, so many of us, we are filled with fear, we're filled with anxiety, we're filled with stress and frustration and hopelessness and heartache. God, may we remember Jesus. As the song, uh, The Old Little Town of Bethlehem goes, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So may we put all of our hope in you. May we recognize that the life this movement that you started when Jesus came to earth is still well and alive today. We're a part of it as well. And you've commissioned us to not only become citizens of the kingdom, but ambassadors of the kingdom. May we never stop ringing these bells so that all may hear, so that all may see of your salvation. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.